Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's gonna be a bad day. What's good, everyone? Welcome inside the Bucks Film Room podcast. My name is Brian Sampson. You can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I write about the Milwaukee Bucks for Forbes Sports. The goal of this podcast is to help you become more knowledgeable, specifically about the Milwaukee Bucks, just also about the about basketball in general. We like to talk about some sets, strategies, schemes, a lot of different things like that. Really like to break down the game in depth and in detail. And that's really what separates this podcast from a lot of the other Bucks ones out there. So I'm really thankful and glad that you're joining me today. We are going to dive in and start breaking down some of these changes that Doc Rivers is implementing for the Milwaukee Bucks. It's I'm going to give kind of a disclaimer here at the top of the episode is that it's really hard to know what to take away at this point. This is a very unique, almost unprecedented situation. There's only been, there've only been a couple of examples of a head coach taking over like this in the middle of the season in NBA history. And each one is a little bit different. So I think it's just important to know as we dive into this, that it's difficult to know exactly what's real, what is the long-term plan, because Doc Rivers and his staff that he brought in aren't going to come in and change everything that they want to right away. They're going to have a series of progressions that they're going to look for, and this really is, I think we can kind of think about it as implementing what they want in into or, or in um, stages. So I think this is really the beginning stage, the first stage that we are going to see as far as what does Doc Rivers want to do? We saw some really exciting stuff on Saturday night against the Dallas Mavericks. So that was exciting to see. We're going to dive into exactly what happened there and what was that all about. But but transitioning to head coach in the middle of the season when he didn't have any ties really to this team before this. He'd seen them on TV, working as an analyst for ESPN, obviously played against them uh, when he was coaching Philadelphia, but you know some of the players that way. But overall, just doesn't know this team very well. Milwaukee's only had one practice, so they're one in three now in their four games with Doc Rivers officially coaching. And they've only had one practice that was on Friday before the Mavs game. And then they've had a couple of shoot arounds. Doc Rivers has talked in post game and pregame media sessions that the shoot arounds are, are, are a little long right now that he's pushing that and that he probably only has about one, one to two more weeks of those long shoot arounds before the players really get sick of him. So he's trying to use those shoot arounds as extra walkthroughs as many slash light practices. Um, so we'll see how much longer that goes around. So that's really what he's had to work with are those practices, one practice, I should say, and those longer shoot arounds. The player limitation in these four games has also been there. There's no Brooke Lopez on Saturday against the Mavericks, Sunday against the Utah Jazz, no Chris Middleton on Sunday in that collapse against Utah. They're in the middle of a very long and hard road trip. I, I guess it just kind of feels like I'm just making up excuses for Doc Rivers. Maybe I am, but I think it's also important to understand the context of where the Bucks are at in their season, who they're playing, what are the kind of restrictions that they're facing right now, what are those challenges, because we can't just expect Doc Rivers to come in and every all the Bucks issues are going to be fixed. Their ownership, John Horst, the GM, knew that was not going to be the case coming into this hiring. And so as fans, I think we have to have 
that level of patience and level of understanding as well, that he's not just going to wave a magic wand. There is no magic wand in this situation and nothing, er, everything isn't going to be fixed. With that being said, let's dive into some of the changes that he's made so far that we can see. Um, so just starting with the basics on ball defense. Milwaukee's no longer applying this insane pressure on the on, on, on the ball handler. They still are up in the grill playing aggressively, but they aren't guarding players 40-some feet from the basket. Their on-ball defenders have a little bit more flexibility, it feels like, to go under screens and to navigate those screens differently depending on who they're guarding, depending on the type of screen that's being set, who's setting the screen, where the screen is being set. All of that. So Milwaukee still obviously isn't just going to go under all these screens. You can't do that in the NBA, not against this level of shooter, the level of shooters that they see on a nightly basis. You still are going to see players mostly going over the top of those screens, but they're moving back. They have a little bit more flexibility. They're defending closer to the three-point line and shrinking the court. I've been a big advocate of that for this Bucks defense. When you have on-ball defenders like Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley in your backcourt, you want to guard as less of the court as possible. The more court that you have to guard, the more difficult it's going to be for your players. So I think that's a good strategy. Anytime you can shrink that court, funnel ball handlers into your bigs in the middle or in the paint. Brooke Lopez, Giannis, we obviously know the type of rim-protecting players that they are. Anytime that you can funnel players into those guys, that's always going to be better. So starting with the basics, that on-ball defense, they moved it closer to the three-point line. They're also defending shots in the paint at you know, really they're doing a lot better job of defending shots in the paint. And that comes with the payoff. We'll talk about that here, but really they have, so they have two games where the last two games in Utah and Dallas specifically, where they did a really nice job of keeping teams out of the paint. But even when in this stretch, when teams have gotten into the paint, they've done a great job of contesting shots, of making teams work for those buckets, of challenging them at the rim. So that's been really good to see is that they're defending uh, shots in the paint a lot better. In three of the four games so far with Doc Rivers at the helm, opponents have shot under 56% at the rim. I should give all of this comes with a small sample size warning. When we're talking about four games, it could just be a blip on the radar. It could be a mini trend and we'll see it all backfire here moving forward. I, I should have given that this small sample size warning at the beginning of the episode, but I may as well drop it in here of this is just what we are seeing right now. It may be indicative of what's to come in Milwaukee. It may not be, but right now this is this is what we're seeing. So again, the opponents have shot under 56% at the rim in three of the four games against the Bucs since Doc Rivers took over. The trade-off, teams are making a lot more threes. They've made 40% or more of their threes in three of these four games. These stats are according to cleaning the glass. So that's the trade-off. Our teams are bombing away from outside. It's that's Milwaukee is prioritizing the paint. They are a little slow or closing out a little short, I would say, to shooters. A lot of times their closeouts are giving those shooters space to catch and shoot or to get those shots off. So I think that's an issue that Milwaukee will be working on here are their closeouts are a little short because they're trying to keep those guys in front of them. They need to close out a little tighter and a little harder. I think the other part of it that we'll see is Milwaukee was the luckiest team 
in the NBA as far as opponents missing open and wide open threes under Adrian Griffin. Could this just be kind of regression to the mean as far as the long NBA season? I'm not sure, but right now the trade-off has been they've been better at protecting the paint. They have been closing out a little bit short to shooters as well. Um, so we'll see how this goes moving forward. Those are just really starting with the basics. We're about to dive into a lot deeper, but that has just been um, from a simple standpoint, some of the changes that we've seen under Doc Rivers so far. What other changes have we seen with the Bucks? Two of their biggest issues under Adrian Griffin was their transition defense and their defensive rebounding. Both of those areas have been a lot better under Doc Rivers. I think those are just two areas that are easy to clean up. The Bucks are being lazy on defense in the past, not prioritizing, not sprinting back. Even on even on makes, you know, you can see every single night the other team trying to quickly inbound the ball under the basket, scoring once or twice a game off of made free throws, off of made buckets. That was just indefensible. It's inexcusable. I'm not sure why that was happening consistently. I get that the Bucks are an older team. I get Brooke Lopez lumbering back, but that, that's not an excuse. That that should be one of the easiest things for professionals is to get back on defense. So we've seen that, we've seen their transition defense improve. Part of that has been, and, and this is not just on made buckets, this has been on missed buckets, but part of that has been not having everybody go flying in for offensive rebounds, dropping back on defense when those shots go up. So that's been helpful to place less of an emphasis on offensive rebound and more on getting back on defense. That has helped tremendously. Defensive rebounding, they've also been better with the exception against Utah. The Jazz killed them on the glass. The Jazz really went big in that fourth quarter and had their way with Milwaukee. Part of that could have been no Brooke Lopez, no Chris Middleton. Uh, we'll see as we go forward. But in three of the four games, the Bucks did a really, really nice job with their defensive rebounding as well. Ironically enough, even though Milwaukee isn't playing as aggressive, they're forcing more turnovers. They, especially in these last two games against the Jazz and the Mavericks, they force a lot more turnovers really than they have for most of the season. So that's been interesting to see. Part of that had to do, and we'll dive into this here in a second, but part of that had to do with the trapping that they threw at Luka Doncic uh, in the Mavs game. Um, but that's been just interesting to see is more turnovers as far as some specific things, one, one aspect that I've noticed is they're stunting on their help at the nail. So if there's a pick and roll or a ball screen or even just a drive that goes toward the middle, there's a defender that is guarding one pass away. So he's not all the way up in his man, but he's not shutting off the driving lane either. What he's doing is he's stunting at the nail. So he's acting like he's going to come in and help or he's kind of lunging at the ball handler to try to throw him off their rhythm or, or maybe swipe in at the ball, but then also being able to recover to their man. Helping one pass away was something we saw a lot under Mike Boonholzer, which is part of the reason why the Bucks sometimes in his tenure struggled to defend the three-point line, because when you help one pass away, that's an easy pass, catch and shoot for a three. Here with Doc Rivers, we've seen him stunting on that help at the nail specifically, if somebody's driving baseline and, and the help defenders one pass away from the guy in the strong corner, they've been sticking with them and not stunting or not helping, sticking with their man. But really what we've seen is that stunting on the nail. Uh, Bobby Portis is another specific change that I've noticed. He's been playing a lot more drop coverage. Portis is interesting. So they've 
in his career with the Bucks, um, and specifically in the last year, tried drop coverage, tried trapping, tried coming up to the level of the screen, tried switching. He just he struggles with it all, man. I mean, that's part of the issue with Portis is I don't know what kind of defensive scheme you can play him in. Doc Rivers is certainly trying him in the drop coverage. He's had some ugly moments already. We'll, we'll see how this goes, but that's just a tough matchup for the Bucks, and maybe something that they'll address is Bobby Portis. I don't know what kind of defensive coverage you can play him in. And maybe Milwaukee is lucky because what no matter when he's on the court, he'll either be sharing it with former defensive player of the year, Giannis Antetokounmpo, or all NBA def- or all defensive caliber player in Brooke Lopez. So he can kind of be hidden a little bit there, or at least protected. Maybe not hidden, but protected. But on his own, he just he can't handle it. And that really comes out when there's no Lopez, when the Bucks were short a big these last two games. And Bobby Portis doesn't have all of his minutes shared with one of those two guys. But that's just something that he's been playing drop coverage. I, I don't know what the right coverage is. That's probably best. You can minimize the damage that he can do on defense. But it's just tough overall for him. Overall, the Bucks defense has looked a lot better in these four games under Doc Rivers, but also I think even the two games under Joel Prunty, it's it's been amazing. They they've been playing harder for sure. The communication though is one of the key aspects that is critical. It's it's so good. It's so important. All of the best defenses talk to each other consistently, not just on occasion, not just here and there, but every single possession, every single pass for the entirety of the of the defensive possession. They're talking to each other, working as a unit, working on a string. There still has been some miscommunication uh, when the Bucs were running that trapping defense against the Mavs. Just in general, there's still some miscommunication, which, again, is going to happen. No defense is perfect in the NBA considering all of the advanced actions and constant actions that teams are running, especially the Bucs have played some pretty good offenses here in this stretch. When you talk about the Denver Nuggets, the Dallas Mavericks, the Utah Jazz, like those are three of the better or best offenses in the NBA and Milwaukee has held their own. Again, the communication has been much improved, still, still work to do on that end and they'll continue to get that ironed out. They have been putting stuff in on the fly, really not having a lot of not having any practice outside the one to to put it into play. And so the games have really been their practice facility. So that's been good to see. Still some miscommunication, but it's better. One thing that was really cool to see was the second half against the Dallas Mavericks. They had a practice on Friday, I believe it was, walk through their game plan against Dallas. I'm not going to call it an adjustment because Doc Rivers, his game plan the entire time was only to put in this defense for second half against Dallas. He didn't want them to have halftime to adjust, so he went out playing kind of his normal basic defense in the first half, and then uh, Milwaukee got down big. They're down, what? 25 points at the end of the first quarter against Dallas coming up. They chipped that all the way down to five at halftime coming out of halftime. Then they did a lot of trapping Luca. Whenever Luca would have a screen, they would switch the first ball screen with Luca, but then they would come back and trap it to get it out of his hands. So the trap wasn't coming from the same player, the same location every single time. You can't do that with a player like Luca. Then he gets to know where it's coming from. He can anticipate who's leaving their man and quickly make the pass. So the Bucks, their big adjustment was to switch that first ball screen with Luca, whoever it was, but then they were sending a trap 
to him to get the ball out of his hands. They're doing a lot of switching there. And then the rotation is key after that. So it's four on three when you trap like that. So the defense has to rotate quickly. They have to already be they already have to be anticipating where they're where they're going to rotate rotate so that way it buys enough time for the guy who's trapping to recover to the fifth man on the court after that pass is swung they did a great job lucas still went for 40 but he's a great player overall the bucks defense as a whole held up and that was really that was really good to see that was a veteran move by doc rivers without brooke lopez he also used Giannis at the five a lot which we're going to talk about here in a second, but they're using on us at the five. They're switching, they're trapping, they're doubling. It was, it was a great veteran move, something that you don't always see in the regular season, uh, specific game plans like this. But I think that we will see trapping be a part of the Bucks defense moving forward. It'll be interesting to see as their schedule comes up and who they're playing, if they continue to implement it for some of those stars. I, I, I think that they will only time will tell but that was really good to see against the Dallas Mavericks that specific wrinkle that Doc Rivers put in as far as Giannis at the five Doc Rivers has been um I think he's been using that more and more here we'll see what that lineup combination looks like with Jay Crowder or Chris Middleton at the four I think Andre Jackson Jr. could possibly even play the four we'll see what that looks like but he wants to try that Giannis at the five even more. That's been something that has not been happening this season. Giannis only has 155 possessions playing the five this season, according to cleaning the glass. And the results are, are mixed defensively. They have not been a good team defensively. Uh, they're giving up 119 points per possession. They've been struggling on the board, sending teams to the free throw line quite frequently. They are producing a lot of turnovers. So their defense has been struggling offense though, scoring 121.3 points per possession. Uh, don't turn the ball over, get really good shots. So that's only a two-point difference per 100 possession, which is interesting because usually Giannis lineups have dominated. This year that has not been the case, but of course he's also been playing at the five um, a lot less often this season than even in years past. I'm trying to bring it up right now. So I'm cleaning the glass. Only 3% of Giannis's possessions have come at the five this season. That compares to 16% last year, a whopping 32% in 2021-22. Of course, that was the year without Brooke Lopez, so maybe some of that was by necessity. But that number is way down this season. So it'll be interesting to see how Doc Rivers uses that. Of course, the trade deadline's coming up in three days as you're listening to this. Will Milwaukee make any moves that allow them to employ that lineup even more? Just going off the top of my head, I think a, a five-man lineup with Giannis at the five, it would be interesting to see Jay, Jay Crowder out there. It would be interesting to see Chris Middleton. You could do Malik Beasley, maybe A.J. Green at the two, Damian Lillard. Uh, could you put Andre Jackson Jr. out there? Could you do something like Giannis, Crowder, Middleton, Ajax, and Damian Lillard? That way it gives you three guys who are kind of in the 6'6", six, six, the 6'8", six, range to supplement Giannis, and then Damian Lillard to help spread the floor and make up for some of that lack of spacing with both Ajax and Giannis out there. It's something to play around with here moving forward. As, as far as young players, Rivers has been playing veterans almost exclusively, which I'm I'm not surprised to see. That fits his MO. I'm just disappointed. I feel like Andre Jackson Jr. has earned those minutes. He's 
a different type of player, which Rivers has talked about. You don't exactly know. It's hard to measure or quantify what you're going to get with Andre Jackson Jr. A.J. Green has been getting some run, and he's been playing well. That's good to see. He's hitting shots like always. That shot is butter. It's money. He's knocking those down. He's also battling on defense. He is limited defensively, but he does a great job of putting his chest into ball handlers, moving his feet, keeping his arms out without fouling. Ajax, you should take notes on that. So he's battling out there. He's getting some run. I think he'll continue to get some playing time. I would love to see Andre Jackson Jr. also get some playing time. Pat Connaughton just does not move the needle for me. I mean, he's hitting some, he's hitting outside shots at a decent clip, but he's lost a step defensively. I think he's always been a little bit overrated as a defender. Right now, I would put him as maybe a below average defender just because I think he's lost a step or two. I would love to see Ajax get some run, of course. It's hard for Doc Rivers to figure out what he has in these young players because they've only had one practice, because practices are going to be limited moving forward. But that's something that I would love to see. As far as Marjan Bochamp, I'm kind of over him. I think the last time we saw him, he did play well. I've just never been a big Bochamp fan. He fits the standard prototype of a 3 and D player a lot more than Ajax, but the issue is he's not a consistent three-point shooter and he has slow feet. So I, that's just hard for me um, to, you can't play all three of those guys. I think for me, it'd be Ajax first. AJ Green, he's playing well at seed. He's got, and then I put Bochamp at the bottom of the pecking order as far as young guys that I would like to see get some playing time. But overall, it's been veterans almost exclusively, which Again, is a bit disappointing. Rivers talked about how they're going to need at least one, if not two, of those young players to step up. But how are they going to step up if they don't get any playing time? Again, let's think of this as the first stage of Doc Rivers' implementation. Let's see what else he can bring to the table, what else he's going to roll out as Milwaukee moves forward. Um, offensively, let's just get back into this conversation about what Rivers has changed. Offensively, Giannis has been posting up or isolating on the left side a lot, and a player will start on the right short corner or right block. And what, what I've been seeing a lot is as Giannis is attacking the hoop, he's drawing that defensive attention, right? A lot of eyes on him. And the player's been not sitting in the right block or in the right short corner waiting for the ball, but they'll find that soft spot right on top of the restricted area. Giannis will find a pass right to them in that area. That's been something I've been noticing um, a little bit more here in the last few games are, is Giannis finding that player right there at the top of the restricted area when he's working to the left side of the hoop after all of those shenanigans with Colin. Sexton uh, on Sunday against the Jazz, Giannis found himself like the next possession or two isolated on Sexton. Sexton was pushing him, bodying him. Giannis went baseline. So we started out on, with an isolation on the left side, went baseline, drew a couple of uh, Jazz defenders, and then flipped a left-handed pass. I think it was to Bobby Portis right at the top of that restricted area for, for an easy layup. So I think that's something I've been noticing a lot more is just some of that movement off ball. Talked about this in one of the podcasts last week or week before about what to expect with Rivers is Rivers runs a lot of pick and roll. He runs a lot of isolation where you have a lot of guys standing around, but there's still some key movements that you can do, some key timing movements of not just where are you cutting to, but when are you cutting there. So that's, that's one thing to keep an eye on. Um, Milwaukee's 
Offense has been a little bit stagnant here, but again, I think that was a little bit to be expected. The Damian Giannis pick and roll, we're seeing it a little bit more. I think there's still more to unlock. Expect that to be something that the Bucs will continue to work on and implement more and more is that two-man game. That just has the potential to be such an awesome combination. Of course, Lillard has really been going through his ups and downs this season. And there's an article, I think, by Chris Haynes on Yahoo that talked talked more in-depth about the struggles that Damian Lillard is having in his personal life. Um, shortly before, right after he was traded to Milwaukee, he filed for divorce from his wife and mother of his kids. And so I think that's just a good reminder that NBA players aren't machines. They're human beings first and foremost. And as fans, as writers, we have to ex- we have to respect that, and we can't just expect that whatever is going on in their life will just completely disappear when they step on the court. Lillard talked about this being the most difficult transition in his life. I mean, he moved across country. He he's a he's a family man. His kids are still in Portland. He tries to talk to them or FaceTime them as much as possible. But it's difficult to be away from your family for an extended period of time. And he's really struggling that. He talked about leaning on his friends, leaning on his faith, and really just leaning on that tight circle that he has. But it's still still difficult. So I think that's just something that we have to keep in mind. Lillard had an awesome game uh, against the Mavericks on Sunday, on Saturday, and then had a stinker on Sunday against the Jazz. Part of that could be back-to-back, could be personal stuff. He tweaked his ankle, could be that. But I think we should have to understand that and give that space for he's got real stuff going on in his life. This has been a difficult transition. Maybe not so much on the basketball court, maybe a little bit on the basketball court, but most importantly off the basketball court where, again, he's a human being and we have to have to understand that space. So I, I digress with that. As far as the Giannis and Damian Lillard two-man game, expect to see that, more and more of that as we move forward. And they're going to work Middleton into that equation as well. That'll be very interesting to see. I think Middleton's in a great role, perfect role. He played, what, 38 minutes? On Sunday against the Mavs, didn't play in the back-to-back, but he's only played in one of those all year. I think he's really coming along nicely. Still has a couple more months to get all the way into shape. We've been seeing some good things from him. As that third man on the totem pole, I think Middleton's a great fit for that. So that'll be exciting to see. What we've also been seeing, too, uh, was it against the Mavs where the Bucks ran a nice little two-man game with Giannis and Damian Lillard to attract the defense. They had Chris Middleton curl off the weak side to suck in Robin Lopez's help defender. So they're using Giannis, Lillard, and Middleton, all three of those guys, to make the defense think that the play is going toward them. And then here comes Beasley coming around a screen from Robin Lopez for a wide-open pin-down three to start the game. That was great use of Lillard, Giannis, and Middleton as decoys for the defense to get Beasley, who's just been red-hot all year, a wide-open three. Expect more of that. Doc Rivers, we know about him in his two-man game, but he also has experience using shooters like J.J. Redick uh, in situations like that with those other guys as decoys. Obviously, I'm not saying Beasley is on the same career path as Redick, but he's he's been a great shooter this season. And so anytime you can get him an open look in the offense, that's, that's awesome news for the Milwaukee Bucks. So expect more of that 
two-man game, that'll be their base, two-man game with Giannis and Lillard. Then they'll expand it to Middleton, and then they'll continue to expand that to use them as decoys to get other teammates involved because they have such a great they, – they have a lot of good options offensively to really work off of, but they have to really hammer down that base to begin with. So we'll see how this goes moving forward. I'll come back here on Wednesday in the Bucks Film Room podcast to drop another episode. We'll get back into this normal episode or normal routine now that the West Coast swing is almost over and they're, they're getting back to real-time games. So thank you all for tuning in. You can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. Continue to drop these episodes. Catch you next time.